gotta tell somebody. This is the best thing I've ever seen. That. Let's talk about that. Let's you talk need about this. that. Listen to this. Memorable and exciting. Well, then be less boring. I'm gonna tell everyone. Wait here. Quite a remarkable big daddy. Remarkable. Remarkable. Welcome to Remarkable, a podcast for B2B marketers that deconstructs the most iconic moments in film, television, pop culture, and advertising for a single purpose, to give you, the B2B marketer, the same storytelling techniques that the pros use. In each episode, you will learn techniques from Hollywood, Pixar, Marvel, and beyond, from Spielberg's hands to yours, bringing remarkable content ideas to you every single week. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. This is Remarkable. This week, we're going to be talking about B2B marketing lessons from Zach Bryan's famous song, Something in the Orange, with our special guest, head of content at Skyhive. Todd, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Doing well. Excited to have you on the show. We're going to chat about Sky High. We're going to chat content. We're going to talk about music and everything in between. So starting off, why the heck did you pick the song Something in the Orange by Zach Bryan? I was listening to, or I was kind of flipping by one of the country stations in Los Angeles, 105.1991. I was flipping by, I heard the song, this was a few months ago, and... I loved it. I poison myself again. Something in the orange tells me you're never coming home. If you leave today, I'll just stare right the way. The orange touches all things around. And uh, I thought I kind of found this like hidden gem or something like some song that I, I had never heard about. And maybe I did, maybe I didn't, but ultimately it didn't, did not turn out to be a hidden Jam. The song's been in the Grammys and it's been the number one on two different Billboard charts, I think, and has tens of millions of YouTube views and tens of thousands of comments on YouTube. Okay, so zooming out, tell us about your role at Skyhive. Sure. Uh, I started Skyhive in the fall, just last fall, 2022. And I've been kind of around this world of skyhive.ai is, is in the kind of employment work, career, skills, education, technology field. And I'd been in surrounding, like uh, tangential at least to that field for decades. And I, you know, I started at Skyhive in I think early November, yeah, mid-November and LinkedIn like auto-posted for me and said, I got a new job. And people commented and said, congratulations. What's Skyhive? Good job. What is Skyhive? And so no one had heard of it. And even people who are like really like insiders in the field is kind of interesting. A lot of the influencers and stuff. And so, in a nutshell, I've gone on a a, a massive effort well, along with a couple, two, three amazing coworkers, Maria, Angelica, and others in the marketing department to get our name out there and tell people not just about us, but what we do and how it's different from others and and whatnot. And it's been wonderful. I mean, people are now coming to me and asking for a demo. People who were the very ones who posted on LinkedIn, what is Skyhive? So it's been, it's been a wild kind of, what is it, eight months? Something like that. And we're going to get all into that content strategy here in a little bit. 
So, Meredith, back to our song of the day here. What the heck is Something in the Orange? So, Something in the Orange is a song by this really young American country music rising star named Zach Bryan. Let's roll. Hey guys, I'm Zach Bryan. He's only 25. He's from Oklahoma. And he started writing music when he was just 14. Didn't mean to be a musician, you know? It's like, it's really beautiful what happened with like just writing songs and stuff. Cause I always like, I always like wrote songs being in the Navy. I would come home like off a shift and I would just like play these, like play the songs, you know? And then for them to turn into something is like more than I could ever ask for. And then he was putting it online when he was still like serving in the Navy. I think he served seven or eight years. And oh, his, crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah. And I think right after he signed with Warner Records, which we'll get into, was when he was honorably discharged. So he's a U.S. Navy veteran. And so the first song that really went big for him was Heading South. And so he took a video of himself playing it on his guitar in front of a campfire. Was a boy who was a dreamer and he flew so high and proud in a world full of people out to cut his young ass down. I think he was 23 at the time, and he posted it to TikTok and YouTube, and it just blew up. It went viral. And there's just, he has this kind of husky, um, gentle voice and just this really unique style, but feels very authentic, feels very organic, I would say. But so now he has two self-released albums, Deanne and Elizabeth. He's now signed to Warner Records, like I mentioned. And his first studio album, which has... 34 songs on it so it's i think it's considered a triple album what? it's called american heartbreak yeah uh the process of making the album there like wasn't one at all there are 33 songs in a poem on the album too many and so that debuted at number five on the u.s billboard 200 and it has over seventy thousand what they call album equivalent units which is now that everything is online it's like down the download of 10 plus songs. So basically 70,000 albums have been sold. And one song on it, Something in the Orange, has gone certified four times platinum. So meaning there were over 4 million units sold. So that was his first charting single. He told today's country radio that the song wasn't some deep, dark thing because it does sound very like sad and heartachy. But he said he came up with the idea when he was in a cabin in Wisconsin just watching the sunset. So the song is really blown up for him. And one thing that popped out for me is, Todd, you shared the music video. And the music video is, um, it's unpolished in a way that's actually quite lovely. Um, and so it starts with this message that says, um, thousands of videos were submitted by listeners for the video of something in the orange. I decided to make this myself because it's a feeling I know we've all shared at some point. Thank you guys for contributing and thank you guys for listening. So Zach Bryan's idea was to crowdsource videos. And I think that really reflects an appreciation of his fans, a sharing of that energy and really that like homegrown grassroots effort, which feels very true to his roots and the nature of country music. It's like, like when I listen to songs, I want people to know that I'm listening to my music with them. Not like, I'm not playing it for them. I'm listening to it with them. I'm like making it. We all like make mistakes and we all like try our best and we all wake up every day and like look for the next thing that like is, that means something to us, you know? Like all of us. And also I think the proof that fame hasn't really gone to his head. And so it's basically a compilation of sunset videos people have taken on their phones of all sorts of people like laughing and dancing or alone, like on a mountaintop or in the country. And it just feels very like unifying and very appreciative of his fans. 
Todd, what makes this song, what makes this video so remarkable? A number of things. So one is, and Meredith touched on many of them, one is that even though video is obviously the medium of choice of this generation, and it's been my medium of choice for a long time, it's, the song's just a great song, whether it's the, the words or the music, it's just a great song. And the video, it's nice, I actually agree, but it's it's secondary. Like, I don't think the, the video made the, made the song so big. As Meredith said, there are two versions, a more somber version with a video and a less somber. I actually prefer the less somber version. And that's the one that I believe that has the crowdsourced images of sunsets. And, and they're okay. It's fine. Uh, but an image of a sunset is kind of like an image of, si- of fireworks. It's like, ah, you know, it's better just to keep your phone in your pocket as far as I'm concerned and just enjoy it because it just doesn't do justice to it. So that's, I think that's interesting that this is not about the video. This is about the song. Another thing is, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the song was was written fairly quickly, like efficiently. Like he sat down, spent a half hour, and it was done. I didn't believe in therapy because that's crazy in the Navy, you know. And uh, I started just making music, and I started posting them on Twitter. And people, I'd get like five or six likes, and I didn't care. It was nice. It was nice to go home. It was nice to go home and feel the way I did and write and put music on Twitter. I don't know. It was kind of my validation in the world of I can write a song at least. Right. And I think that's interesting because it's it's how we often, we we humans, do things best. You know, we're taking a shower, we're walking the dog, we're riding a bike. We're doing something that's mindless and repetitive. And that's always when we think of all the things we forgot we have to do. It's always when we think of our best ideas. It's never during a brainstorming meeting, right? It's always when you're not thinking, when you're doing something repetitive. And that's often our best work. And sometimes we try to, like, rewrite things a hundred times and we get a bunch of fire hydrant editors, a bunch of the fire hydrant editors who want to leave their mark on something and they all want to just change it. And, and that's fine. Sometimes it makes things better. But oftentimes the best that you do is when you were at your best during that moment. And that, mo- that moment started with that kind of repetitive motion or that mindless thing. And it seems to be what he did in this case with a lot of great songs. I think that's true. You have this feeling of inspiration or motivation or, or innovation, depending on what it is we're talking about. And you, and you do it. And I think that's what happened here Another thing is, I was looking at, there's like thousands of comments on YouTube, and some of them are like, they're like obsessed with the song, like, oh, it's a masterpiece. I've listened to it a thousand times and stuff. So I was looking at some of the comments, and the song means like all of these different things to different people. Everyone's living a different life, and like to get to like write music for people who are there to enjoy it is like the greatest blessing someone could ever have, you know? Like, it's a song about their grandma. It's a song about their dog. It's a song about their ex-boyfriend. It's like all these different things. And I think that's one reason why I think it's kind of become so powerful. I think there's other things like that. I don't know if you guys know the song, you know the song American Girl by Tom Petty? That song I always thought was about suicide. And I guess a lot of other people did because he eventually, I was reading an interview with him and he said, he eventually said, "Ah, yeah, I understand, but yeah, it's just like your basic love song. It doesn't really mean that much, which is exactly exactly like with this song, Something in the Orange. It was like, it just has uh, different meanings to different people. And I think that made it and makes it great. And then one other thing, well, a lot of other things, but just one other thing before I stop my soliloquy is I was looking at some of the reviews of the song. There was a guy, I think it was from, I want to say it was October 2022, some blogger, I don't even know his name at the moment, but I did, I did make a copy of his review, and he cannot stand the song. He just, like, annihilated the song. He says, it's a generic, broken-hearted lament that does nothing to distinguish itself. 
he just can't stand the words, how they're so cringeworthy, how the song forces these different rhymes in. It's like super awkward. He says, it's like the worst of Music City and Nashville. Any other artist behind the mic would have given you a better outcome. Just goes on and on. He can't stand the song, which I think to me is important. It's like, it goes to show anytime you're kind of putting yourself out there. And I was thinking about it yesterday, how crazy my reality is now. Like coming back to Oklahoma and being around people and people like coming to get me in diners and being like, take a picture of me. I'm like, what is going on, man? <laughs> there's like 700 people hating me online. I'm like, bro, I didn't mean to do this. I don't, I, I'm sorry. It's crazy. Wow. I just kept going. You're an athlete. You know, people are going to like think what you do is easy. You're a politician, actor, actress, actress, singer, reverend, priest, minister, rabbi. You're giving a sermon. The first thing people do, you finish the sermon. Someone turns to you and they start critiquing it to their husband or wife or whatever. It's like people are just ready to put you down in the short run. And you got to suck it up in the long run and let the, and let the long run happen, I think, sometimes because that review just got dwarfed by the comments on YouTube. Those are some of the things, at least. Yeah, there's so many lessons for creatives there. I think what, what you mentioned to pull on one of them is being in the moment and actually being there and doing the thing. That was a huge takeaway for me. It's like, you just got to be there and actually do the thing. And isn't that the most like, I mean, human is baked into the human condition that if you look at fire, if you see that, that color, if you look at a sunset, I mean, like it is part of our DNA to stare oh, yeah. at that thing and like yeah. think about the, the, you know, mysteries of the universe. And I love that he titled it something in the orange because if you were to go to writing class back in whatever, seventh grade, if you had written something in the orange as the title <laughs> of your thing, you would have yeah. got a line through the word something and they would have said, <laughs> like, yeah. you can't use this word. Yeah. No things. That's what everyone told me. Ian, you can't say thing. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, Zach, Zach Bryant disagrees. Right. Um, <laughs> But, but it speaks to this, like, yeah, there's something about it. And Todd, to your point, there's something different to everyone about it. Yeah. And like, yeah. that is what makes something great is like, you can look at this, five people can look at the same thing and see five different things because they're seeing their own experiences. And like, that is, maybe it's pandering perhaps, you know, like yeah. if to that guy's crappy review, but I'd yeah. say it's the exact opposite. Also, it's, it's kind of a breakup song. I hope no one's in too good of a mood. I wrote a super sad song one time. Uh, I hope you guys don't hate it. Uh, like if, I don't know if that's a genre, the breakup genre, but unless you married your preschool sweetheart, you know, we've all experienced breakups or maybe we've been on the giving end of them, but that's like something like everyone can relate to. I mean, a song about like an animal, the song about something else, most people, but not everyone, but like breakups. I'm pretty sure everyone's pretty, pretty much everyone has been either broken up with or rejected. It's kind of, it's kind of the same thing. So I think that, that, that's another thing is like, that's just a universal thing being on the receiving end of that. And it's, a, and it's about an ending, right? And like things yep. end and like things yep. that you love end. And like, yep. that's what a sunset is, right? It's like the end yep. of potentially a beautiful day, potentially a horrible day, like it, yep. but it is an ending. The grass trees and do how I just hate you. Please turn those headlights around. Please turn those headlights around. And 
when you look at it from a breakup perspective, like you said, everyone has had that. And, you know, we all, we all remember those things in, in our own ways. I think I do want to talk about the video for a second here, the crowdsource video. It's fascinating to me. And music videos to me, I mean, they're endlessly fascinating. I think about it all the time. I've actually been, been in a music video and the creative just, oh, you didn't know this? No. Oh, I thought you, I thought Meredith thought you didn't know, know this. Yeah. No. So my friend has a record label and manages uh, a bunch of artists. And so one of their artists was shooting a music video in Oakland. And, and yeah, so I was in it. That's so cool. Yeah. And like the creative decisions that I remember him making on that day of like what he wanted to shoot and how he wanted to shoot this and working with the DP and all that. And they're like, I want to ride a horse down, you know, a main street in Oakland, <laughs> which and so I remember getting a text from my buddy like, do you know anyone has a horse that I could use <laughs> for a couple of And so to have him as an artist give away all of the creativity you know, to other people is again, like you said, Meredith, it's, it's, it's so true to who he is and to who this song is that he wanted to create a video, you know, with other people and share that and like to do it his way. I mean, along those lines, as I understand it, he became kind of big and celebrity or whatever, your know, distraction maybe in the, in the Navy and the Navy had had to push him out. Like he, he said, I'm happy to, I love the Navy. I'm happy to stay in and give up what's outside of the Navy and all of the money and everything else. But so, as I understand it, he, he was discharged honorably in good standing. But originally against his, in a sense, he kind of had to be nudged. My gunner one day comes up to me and he's like, hey man, this is getting crazy. You got to get out of the Navy. I'm like, okay, whatever. Uh, do I have to? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, I'd rather not. And he's like, okay, too bad. And then he was like, okay, you'll be out of the Navy next week. And I'm like, that's crazy. So along those lines, that's something kind of unusual too. And I think it's special. I did not know that. That's so crazy. Shout out to uh, good people in the Navy. That is, that's really cool. Yeah, he served until 2021. Yeah. He was write, writing and singing songs, I believe, just like by his bedside, like for his friends in the Navy. I can tell you, I tried to write when I was in the Army and not music. And boy, it was challenging. It is hard to be creative when you are sitting in the middle of nowhere. Shout out to our guy, Zach. One last thing that I, I, I find pretty interesting on it from a B2B perspective, that he made two versions of the song. And so this is something that like, I think B2B companies should do way more of. It's like, take this thing that you just made and make it slightly different. To you, I'm just a man. To me, you're all I am. Where the hell am I supposed to go? I poison myself again. Something in the orange tells me you're never coming home. And the reason why I say that, so often we make content 
and we write it in a certain way and a certain language and a certain approach. And then we just say, well, this is our brand voice. As if that that's how everybody just automatically wants to read stuff. And I surmise that you could probably get way more mileage by creating a second version of that same piece of content and write it in an extremely conversational, approachable voice that's actually tied to a human being. So you have your like professional white paper type thing and then create a second version of it that's like, hey, this is just, I'm just a guy telling you how, you know, this person was able to like 2X the revenue. And like, I just think there's so little conversational type communicating. And, you know, if a super famous multi-platinum artist can create a song two different ways, then like you could probably create your white paper and write it in two different ways. The facts are all the same. The story is more or less the same, but just make it like write it in a different way and and call that stuff out. And I think there's just a lot of B2B content that is just just done one way cookie cutter. But like we always talk about like repurposing for a different medium, but also the actual creative feeling different or being readable in a different way. Like some people do actually want that. No, I agree. I mean, sometimes we'll obviously we'll change the subject line. We'll do like a test and and think, oh, let's try this subject line, just see how it does versus the other. And we're not really thinking about a different kind of emotion, as you said. But in the Something in the Orange video, there's two different emotions. One of the songs, the recordings, is clearly more somber than the other. It'll be fine by dusk, but I'm telling you, baby. These things eat at your bones and drive your young mind crazy. Which is the one I like less, but we don't often do that we, in in marketing. We don't often say, "Well, we're going to listen like a different kind of emotion." We just sort of change the words and say, "Well, what, what words work better for you know SEO or whatever?" Instead of like, "What emotions do we want to provoke?" A long time ago, people used to think of two different audiences. Right? It was like pain avoiders and pleasure seekers. Yeah, like this car. This car will keep you safe. Versus this car is so much fun and so cool. And I think maybe sometimes we get away from that and we just think like, these words will work better. These words will work worse. Let's see which one happens, you know? Yeah, or these words will like convert better or these words will, you know, do whatever. But like you said, the same exact story of the person who got 2X ROI, well, one person was really happy that they saved 2X, they got that 2X ROI because they just had an absolute crap year Everything had been going bad. They made it. They invested in some technology that was horrible, and they had one shot, and they got two X ROI, and it saved their job. Yeah. Whereas the other person had been waiting for the right type of investment to just. This was the first investment that they were ever going to make, yeah. and they wanted to make their mark and they wanted to get promoted. They got that two X ROI and they got promoted. Like, yep, same story, same outcome, completely different framing of the problem. And we just never do that stuff. We yeah. don't take the human element into it. And sometimes you have to change the tone to, to figure that stuff out. Yeah. Now, like, and you're, you're not going to tell that same story because that's probably not real because those are two different people. But the idea right. that right. if you were telling that type of, of story to, to think about how you're doing it, how you're talking about it, and then who the person who's delivering it. Like when I record, like I host podcasts, Meredith hosts podcasts, when she does her voiceover work versus when I do mine, it sounds completely different. <laughs> it's way cooler when she says it. Definitely not. <laughs> but thank you. 
and so like it's it's a very different approach and you could read the exact same story from two different voices and it feels completely different so todd how do you uh, think about your content strategy at uh, skyhive well we are in this world where if you don't know what we do or even if you do know what we do and especially if you do know what we do it's kind of complex it involves the world's largest amount of data on jobs and skills and pay and labor market and then that data is put through artificial intelligence and then we take that data and governments use it to reduce unemployment to lure companies to their areas schools use it to plan curricula and place graduates in jobs and large companies use it to keep their companies up with whatever's happening in the labor market so like we work for a couple of very large well-known fossil fuel energy companies that are trying to be a little bit more clean and green and digital and we're helping them kind of shift their jobs a little bit so like what it, and so we help them use the technology to see well what does each person need to know to become more geothermal for example where's the gap between what people in our workforce know and what they need to learn that was a, all a long-winded w- way of saying what we do is it's kind of complex and kind of complicated and I've tried to basically changed the way we've been talking about it when I, since I started to make it more about stories and more about the outcomes and less about the features. So we've been talking about those oil companies. We've been talking about the large bank we work for that was able to reduce the financial fraud, like when you, you know, get your credit card stolen. We talk about a Medicare company that became more flexible using our technology and Everything that we do is really based on the stories of the outcome, at least what I've tried to do through our content, versus just talking about how much data we have and how much AI we have and the features of the technology. How do you view the ROI of content? Hmm. Well, let me say this. So there's always been this profession that was called personnel, that was called human resources. And around the mid-90s, there was something kind of new or it was sort of branching off, or, and some people were adopting what's happening now, which is this other human resources thing. It became not about planning company events and dealing with the conflicts between people and not what we knew as, and some people still know as human resources, which is important, but this new thing happened. And when this new thing happened, it had to do with business and analytics and all that stuff. Around the mid-90s, I think, we all started talking about how we're data-driven, we're metrics people, and we're not like those HR people who are, you know, people people. And, you know, I'm a numbers guy. So ROI was like, it became a way of bragging. So I don't want to answer your question by saying, well, I'm a numbers guy, it's all about the numbers, because that's become like a way of bragging. But I'll say this, and I think I said this earlier, is like, when people are now common influencers who have been having right for us, have been quoting in our articles or reports or white papers and I've been calling up, emailing, whatever, talking about us. And when they're now coming to me and they're asking about Skyhive or they're making videos about me without me asking, people who have never heard of us to me, like I I feel like that's been an amazing success for their little mighty engine that could, three person Maria, Angelica, Todd, etc. marketing department. We've sent out thousands of emails over the past few months and I look at every single person who's opened or clicked on the emails. And when I see the CEO of a bank opening the emails 
and I see this C-level officer of a huge restaurant chain that everyone knows opening the emails. And I see like school principals and government leaders and people from like all these major universities opening the emails. And I've sent out tens of millions of emails over the years. Um, so I was counting last night, like tens of millions of emails. And like typically like the very high level prospects who are our prospects, typically they're not like the people who you think are going to watch your webinars and going to open your emails because what do they want? They really want another marketing phone call or email or whatever. But I see the people who are like engaging with our content. I'm thinking that's ROI and I'm really happy with it. I did this mid-year report recently. I think it went live about a month ago. It's like trends you should know for the back half of the year in 2023. And I posted like a little summary or a little teaser on LinkedIn. And I saw like the service now, I think it was high-ranking human resources leader commenting on that. Like to me, it's all these anecdotes add up to ROI. And so I don't know. I'm trying to get, I'm trying to answer your question by not saying I'm a numbers guy. Because that's just a way of, you know, bragging and putting down people who you think are light and creative and people people or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I think that is a total uh, aside. But there's a great story that Sir David Attenborough told about when he was young and he was traveling all over the world looking at all these animals and doing all this stuff. And he's like, we thought the world was like infinite. That like, yeah, I've never seen this many elephants or I've never seen this many fish or I've never seen this stuff. And he's like, as we like, got older and like things started happening and and the like there were then like less fish and then less fish and then all of a sudden a fish that used to be millions of that they're they were just gone and like we were like wait is that possible and he's like well we realized there's finite numbers of all of these animals like we should have known that but like we didn't know that and it kind of just stuck with me as like a marketer where it's like there is data everywhere obviously you just have to find it and have the right tools and all that stuff. Like you have to be data driven and you have to have the science part of your brain activated and you have to have the creative part, like the emotional part because people make emotional decisions. So like you, you need to have both and there's, it's non-negotiable as a marketer now. Yeah, one of the things I've tried to do starting from before I started when I was talking to my soon-to-be manager a couple of days before I started and just sort of chatting on the phone. I said, like, you guys have so much data at SkyHive. Like, you guys, this is, a, you know, we've been saying this, the world's largest amount of data on skills, jobs, pay, and a labor market. And we should use it, like, use it to tell stories more. And so I've been trying to do that more. I've been on a few podcasts this year talking about, like, the labor market economy, like, people asking how the economy is doing, blah, 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 and when's the recession yeah. going to end or the rolling recession, when's it going to end? And so I try to use our data more in those conversations and I've been using it in more of our reports and our white papers and all that. And we're going to be doing much more of that in the coming months. So I think that's another thing I've been trying to do and we'll be doing much more of is like taking advantage of the stuff that's at our disposal given the for good fortune of being a company that's an AI data company. Yeah, use what you have, right? Because it's, it's what your competitors can't. Any other things that you're working on or content that you've already created that particularly proud of or something that's coming up that you're excited about? I think I was walking the dog a couple months ago and I had this idea for this like little social media or advertising campaign thing. So the first one was, we are not psychics, but dot, dot, dot. And then depending on the medium of the ad, whether it's print, online, you'd click or you'd open it up and says, 
we helped a large retailer predict the supply chain crisis before it happened. And then there was a second second ad and said, we're not detectives, but dot, dot, dot. And you open it up and it says, we helped a large bank reduce financial fraud. And there's, we're not Pilates instructors, but dot, dot, dot. And you open it up and it says, we helped a Medicare technology company become more flexible. And so this idea of the psychic one, it hit me when I was just like walking the dog a couple months ago. And I sent it like on Slack at night to like a couple of people I work with, one of whom's like, doesn't get too excited about anything. And she was so excited. Like it, like it was like, boom, it was like, yes. It's like, yes. It just hit her. And it was like, I was so excited that she was excited. And I mentioned to a couple other people. Then my coworkers just made it so much better than it ever was. And the engagement, like open rate and click-through rate among like public private sector people we're targeting was really nice, strong, particularly for the psychic one. So I was really happy with that. Todd, it's been absolutely awesome having you on the show. So, so cool to chat about all this stuff with you. For our listeners, you can check out Skyhive, check out some of that content, especially all the, the data that y'all have is, is truly amazing. Any final thoughts here? Anything to plug? Just uh, keep listening to music and keep being inspired and do those things that make you inspired, whether it's going for a bike ride or, I guess, looking at a fire. And it's probably the best way to, th- to brainstorm and innovate and be creative and, and remember all the things that you forgot you had to do. I love it. Thanks, Todd. Appreciate it. We'll Thanks. talk soon. Thanks for having me. Thank you guys so, so much. My name is Zach Ryan. Well, that's it for today. I hope you got some good ideas for your B2B content. Thank you for listening to Remarkable. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. Remarkable is created by the team at Caspian Studios, B2B podcast as a service. Caspian also creates fiction series for B2B companies. So if you want a business thriller, you can learn more at caspianstudios.com. Hollywood style storytelling for B2B. And in today's episode, you heard from myself, Ian Faison, and Meredith O'Neill, senior producer here at Caspian Studios. Remarkable was produced this week by Meredith O'Neill, mixed by Scott Goodrich, and our theme song is Solomon by Falak. Be remarkable and rise above the noise.